Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me today is Mike Hansen. Hey, Mike. Hey, Bruce. And I think we're going to just continue the conversation we had last week. Last week, we spent a fair amount of time talking about inflation, and I think the way we're posing that conversation is a, is a fading of a, a significant uh, uh, supply shock that's hitting the global economy, reflected in higher food and energy prices, also reflected in core goods pricing. And the removal of that is a is a good thing. That positive, I think, we would emphasize has come along with a pretty important confirmation of a view we've had that the private sector could be resilient in the face of shocks. And that's the good news on the global economy. But since we're economists, we're not going to only focus on the good news. In fact, we might obsess on the bad news. But let's focus on the, the concerns that are evident and I think importantly, um, you know, in in concentrated pockets. Well, Europe is maybe a little too big to call a concentrated pocket, but and China might be as well. But in China and Europe, uh, we had a lot of China data this week. Uh, let's start there. Uh, why am I expressing some concern off the July uh, China data, Mike? Well, basically because it wasn't very good. So uh, <laughs> the uh, the domestic demand side of things was really quite uh, disappointing, right? You saw retail sales uh, notably weaker. The service sector looks like it's still pretty soft. Uh, and credit growth, I think, importantly, was was pretty weak uh, relative expectations. So that, I think, is kind of the, the, the main things that are making us concerned on the China front. You did actually have uh, you know, a little bit uh, better IP data uh, and the... Uh, Infrastructure, fixed asset investment was solid, but the rest of the FAI spending, particularly from the real estate sector, which is where there's a really significant drag kind of brewing there, uh, was was notably weak. And that's weighing on the outlook. It's weighing on funding for local governments. And it's raising this question about you know whether there's enough policy support in place. Yeah. So, you know, I think in some ways, a, ma a good way to kind of break it apart is to say, hey, we're getting some uh, something of a, a reopening lift, but it doesn't look like it has legs behind it uh, because of this domestic demand weakness. Uh, the PBOC did this surprise us this week, giving us a 10 basis point uh, rate cut. Uh, I guess the meaning of that really depends on how you interpret the signal on other policy measures. And how are we interpreting that? Yeah, I mean, it's not likely that 10 basis points in and of itself does a lot, but it does seem to suggest that policymakers are starting to become more concerned. And so we think it is opening the door ultimately where we think policy needs to go, which is on the fiscal front. Um, so there's a couple of different avenues that fiscal policymakers could take, uh, including perhaps as early as the end of this month to try to expand uh, you know, some of the sources of uh, debt issuance and uh, revenues. But Basically, we need to. The view is we need to see a step in in some size in order to make sure that we don't see the fourth quarter really underperform our forecast. So, in in that context, let's turn elsewhere. And and let me just say in passing, uh, the U.S. data this week was was quite mixed on in terms of readings. But the overall message, I think, from the you know prioritizing the numbers, which is to say, hey, we came into the week with a very strong payroll report behind us. We got a pretty darn good retail sales report. IP, probably not that important, but for what it's worth, was positive. And then you balance that against the weakness in the housing data uh, and some very kind of funky, you know, um, differential movements between the Empire and the and the Philly survey. But I think what is important here is the sign 
that the consumer is going to rebound in July, which we think will come across with the PCE report this week. Uh, that does suggest there are benefits coming through the lower inflation, as well as the resiliency story more generally. The labor market is holding in uh, claims, which we've been, you know, kind of uh, debating about the quality of the signal relative to earlier year levels given seasonality. But I think whatever your judgment on that, the signs that it's flattening out and flattening out at a level about 250 to us is an encouraging sign. So the U.S. is looking not great. I don't think we're kind of tracking a boomy third quarter GDP number, but it's looking like it's holding its own here. And then we then we turn to, to Europe. Uh, and that's where perhaps, if anything, the greatest concern right now is because of what's happening in the uh, the natural gas space. Yeah, I mean, prices have really just continued to move substantially higher. Uh, you know, we were expecting uh, prices to average about 150 euro per megawatt hour. They're now at 250, um, and we've kind of revamped our forecast for the UK to assume that they're going to average something closer to 200 uh, euro per megawatt hour, and that's a pretty significant hit. We've got a you know a, a much deeper uh, recession now around the turn of the year in the UK as a result. We've got the unemployment rate picking up. And of course, it feeds through in a somewhat lumpy way into much higher inflation, right? Inflation peaks at 13% uh, in the UK and stays in double digits until the spring of next year. So all of that uh, net is a notable drag, but it, it really forces the hand of the, the Bank of England, in our view. We've added 75 basis points of rate hikes for this year because they just need to get uh, to a bit more uh, restrictive stance faster uh, because of the inflationary pressure that's building. Well, that's an important point, which is the uh, UK economy looks like it it might be sliding into recession here. The Bank of England can see what we can see. They know what's going to happen to utility prices, uh, but we're still having them move policy rates uh, above 3%. And then we've got uh, the ECB, which we're looking for 50 in the September meeting. So what what is the signal as we start to think about uh Powell and Jackson Hole and what the Fed may do in September. What's this message you're taking in terms of how to think about central bank reaction functions here? Well, generally speaking, and at least in the DM, there's still this move to try to get to stances that are viewed as appropriate with the inflation background and the fact that labor markets generally are still pretty tight. You're certainly seeing, you saw it in the US, you're seeing it in Europe as well. Wage growth is, is on the strong side as well, right? So I think that's the first order of concern for central banks is to make sure that they are doing enough to get inflation sustainably down over time, right? And so I think that's going to be the message first and foremost out of Powell. That's what the Fed, you know, pretty much I would argue conveyed in the minutes that just came out for July. Uh, so there's no obvious reason to expect them to deviate from that message. And as we talked about earlier, if anything, the mix of a slightly softer uh, inflation report for July, but a notably stronger jobs and, and consumer spending numbers. Uh, lean in the direction of the Fed's, in our view, still going 75 next month. I don't think Powell will talk specifically because Jackson holds a, a, you know, an environment for talking about the framework and kind of broader pictures, but it's going to be one where I think is going to reinforce this message that the Fed needs to really be confident that it's made enough of a move to get inflation down sustainably before it starts to pivot to thinking about what's happening on the real side of the economy on a, on a more sustained basis. Yeah, I think an another reason for Powell not to convey any strong messages about the near term is as much as you're, you know, pointing out that the data flow thus far argues for 75, there still is a fair amount more data to come before we get to the September meeting. So there's there's no sense that the Fed has already decided what it's going to do in September. And therefore, Powell is not in a position, even if he wanted to, 
uh, to signal it. But I, I think there's an important underlying message here, which is central banks are going to respond to um, any signals that their economies are not in recession actually now uh, by continuing to tighten here for a while. Now, a while is a is a concept we can play around with, but not not the Fed, not the Bank of England, not the ECB is done. Um, when and if the euro area economy slides into recession, we might get a different reaction. When and if the Bank of England does show clear signs of sliding in. But as long as we're still talking about recession risks and seeing tangibly high inflation and, and not just CPI inflation, but I, I do think it's important to realize how much the ground has shifted in European labor costs here over the last uh, uh, you know couple of months of readings. Um, they've got work to do and they're going to continue to do it. Um, and they're not, I think, trying to generate recessions uh, at this point, but they're willing to take that risk to, to put policy at the stance that they um, you know, are more comfortable with. So with that, I think we'll leave it. I think we've talked about uh, much of the data flow for next week. Uh, we are also getting PMIs, which I think we should just note is supposed to reinforce the message we just delivered. We're looking for the US PMIs to go up a point roughly and to have both the UK and Euro area numbers go down uh, a point. Uh, so this is momentum shift in the PMIs and in the national surveys next week in Europe is also something to look for. But with that, um, we'll end and uh, hope to be able to continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV, although without me, because I'm on vacation. So uh, take care. Bye.